What's going on, FCS football fans? This is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hashagan. Alongside me, the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year, Dave. Good morning. And what, what was that leading in? Normally we have a fight song. I wasn't expecting that. It's championship week, man. I got I to gotta get something else in here, I'm man. bobbing my head, man. Like, that's that's some good stuff right there. Folks, don't forget you can follow all, all of us uh, on footballgameplan.com slash kickoff. YouTube.com slash football game plan for all of your football game plan content. Uh, you got us on Twitter at the FCS kickoff, at FCS opening drive, and at FBall game plan for my man Emery. And don't forget, we are on iTunes with this thing. Search football po- game plan in the podcast session. We're also on SoundCloud, so you can listen to us wherever you are in your car, at home, at school. Just don't get caught. Emery, it's championship week. It really Finally. is. Finally. It's been two weeks. We've had two weeks off, folks. We've had way too much turkey, way too much. Pork roast or whatever the heck you have. Way too much peppermint bark. Oh, oh, no. Not that. (laughs) We had, uh, I'm still recovering from two incredible uh, FBS semifinals the Rose Bowl, which was an absolute classic yesterday. Uh, And obviously, Alabama, we got two SEC teams, of course, in the FBS playoffs, but nobody cares. Well, most of you care. But (laughs) we've got the FCS title game. We will be breaking down. Position by position, squad by squad, JMU versus North Dakota State. Uh, but we got a couple things we want to get to real quick. We're going to start with the early signing period. We're not going to go into a full breakdown here because we still have the February signing period, the traditional signing period to go. But early signing period, much busier than I expected it to be. Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously we thought it was going to be something. You know, something was going to go down. It was going to support the FCS teams. I don't think we expected it this much. It was a lot. And I think that's great for the FCS because you got your guys in the fold right away. So you don't have to play that game of, hey, I may get an FBS offer. Sign the guys right away. They're, I hate to say it like this, but it's true. They're under contract. And now they can't leave. That's oh a whole boy. new discussion, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Here <laughs> right. we go. So that's the case. A lot, Half the classes are filled out. Now we're going to see a lot of – this is why I think they needed FCS bowl games. Yes. Right? Because now you have coaching staffs with half their – the majority of their classes are already signed, right? Right. You got a few scholarships left. Now you go after some of those FBS guys that's on the fence. Like if you got a yeah. guy that's considering, let's say, a UNC Charlotte – or maybe in East Carolina, and if you're North Carolina A&T, you're like, hey, wait a minute. We were right in the middle of both of these. We just won our entire season, and we played in the bowl game. Let's go after those guys and get those guys in the fold. If you're a CAA team like Elon, same situation. If yep. a kid is considering Charlotte or Wake Forest, and you're like, wait a minute. Here's an opportunity for us to steal one of these guys and bring them to Elon. That's why they need more F- FCS bowl games. But I like now that the FCS has a chance to go and grab some top – not saying these guys that they've signed are not top-tier talent because it's still Division One, right. But they get to go and get some of those Power 5 type guys or, or Group of 5 type talent and, and bring them into the fold and just make the FCS that much stronger. Exactly. And, and shout out, first of all, to the 49ers and the Pirates. No, Shout out. Yeah, don't want to – don't want to school Shout them too out to badly. Shout uh, But no, I, I think it's, it's it's definitely good for the FCS. As you said, you got the guys that you know you're going to be solid on. Let's get these guys in here. It's done. It's over with. You don't even have to think about that anymore. And, like, and that's what I think how this benefits FCS even more is that you have the kids that are they kind of reconsider. You know, back in the old days with the February time period. Okay, I've got the offer from North Dakota State. I'm ready to go. Oh, wait a minute. Minnesota's showing interest. They haven't offered me anything yet, but they're showing me interest. I don't know what to do anymore. So I think it, it does help the the kids especially. But I you don't you do wonder if there's going to be that little period of regret, you know, especially if you come back later and you know some guy from Minnesota is like, oh, we were going to offer you something, and it's just like, ah. Again, <laughs> bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? And yeah. but I also think what's going to be even more so in play, um, a lot of these JUCO kids. Yes, so, transfers. Exactly. So, And guys that have played at, let's say a guy may have finished playing his eligibility at an FBS school but still has another year left or wants to transfer, played in the bowl game but now wants to transfer, those guys now can come to your program. That's another added benefit because, okay, we had, let's say you were going after three running backs, right? You signed two. Now a running back, like let's we're going to talk about one uh, with James Madison. Now a guy that comes free from a program saying, hey, I want to play more, I want to go to another program, I'm open, that's your third running back 
but that's a guy that's coming with experience and coming from an FBS program. So the JUCO element and the transfer element right now from now until February is huge for the FCS. Absolutely, and we'll be, we'll be keeping an eye on that. We will have a full wrap-up sometime in February. Absolutely. We'll break down you know which recruiting classes, which schools do you think we think uh, will put some schools over the top, some programs over the top for FCS. Let's move, though, into the coaching market. We've had uh, a lot of changes in the last couple weeks. We, didn't, we thought it was pretty much done. It was kind of going into a lull. We still got coaches moving out, uh, and we're going to start with Mississippi Valley State. Um, Rick, uh, Rick Kamenge. Kamenge. Not brought back, contract not renewed after four seasons. A little yeah, surprised. Uh, not really. Not uh, you know, yeah, he, it's tough for him because he's had success everywhere he's been except Mississippi Valley State. Yeah. Because, again, it's, certain places are, are a unique challenge, and, and Valley is one of those places. You ever been to Itabina? Do I look like I've ever been down there? Where I don't know, know man. I don't, I, I've <laughs> been to New Orleans. That's about as close as I've gotten. I've been to Itabina, right? And, um, yeah, it's all Mississippi Valley State, and that's it. So – the thing is, you have that going against you. You also have uh, just a program that, that just doesn't have the the financial stability as other programs within the SWAC, and that creates a challenge. And when you combine that on top of losing, it makes it a tough place to win. Yeah. And when they get it going, they're going to be able to get that talent. Mississippi is, is JUCO heavy. Right. A ton of great JUCOs in that state, just like Texas, just like Kansas. And so they have the talent to make it happen. It's just about getting that that program over the hump. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about one that I know you were shocked by, Morgan State, moving on from Fred, Far- Fred Farrier after just two years. Where did this come from? I, just, I, I didn't see that coming at all. I no. thought Coach Farrier was an outstanding coach, great recruiter, which is what you have to be in football, um, in college football. And I thought the pro- despite their record, and I know – fans and it, you know everybody looks at the record that's exactly it. and it is about wins and losses but this program was going in the right direction I heard from a, a rival coach that they played against was like hey that defense that they have is legit they have some great players on that defense I've also heard it from a, a, a coach that watched their game in preparation for another opponent a common opponent it's like man that defense they got is tremendous so they are going in the right direction I, I was just surprised that they pulled the plug so quick after just giving him the head coaching, full head coaching tag this past season. So it, it's weird. And yeah. now you put the interim coach in the, in the bind because you just said, hey, you're going to be the interim coach. We're going to spend the entire 2018 season searching for the head coach. How how am I supposed to coach? I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> you know Hello. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's tough. So Very, very tough. And, and we will get into uh, both these schools have new coaches uh, we'll get to that in a second. One other coaching uh, coach that's going out, though, and an uh, incredible career, Mike Ayers, uh, officially retired from Wofford after 30 years, 30 seasons in charge of the Terriers, where he went 207, 139, and 1. Uh, was 10-3 and this year, five conference titles, lost in the quarterfinals this year in the playoffs. An incredible career for Mike Ayers. A completely incredible career, and he is Wofford, you know? Yeah. He is like what Jimmy Laycock is to William and Mary. Yeah. And that's why I want to see Laycock get to 40 years and then he can retire. You know, selfish reason. I wanted him to get to that round <laughs> number and retire. Stay alive. Go. <laughs> Stay alive for one more season. So I think uh, Ayers and what he has done at Wofford, tremendous success. Took him from D2 D2 independent. Independent. All the way up to FCS independent and then has just made them. A SOCOM power. Oh, incredible. Every single season. So we wish uh, Coach Ayers the best in his retirement. Um, We assume he's retired. We don't know. He might just show up somewhere. You never know. um, Certainly we uh, wish him all the best. And let's get into some coaching hirings now. We've had quite a few. Most of the vacancies are now filled. And we'll start with Wofford because they are staying in-house uh, Josh Conklin, the defensive coordinator, taking over for Coach Ayers. Do you like the move? I like the move. Continuity is king in college football, and you have a guy that has been groomed for that position. He knows the program. He knows how to recruit to that unique program, and it's probably going to keep the same philosophy rolling, and that's what has to happen when you have a program that has a head coach that's been there so long. You just got to find ways to continue what has been working. Ayers has the formula. Conklin has been there. Defensively, they've been excellent. So I love this hire for Wofford. 
Let's go on to uh, East Tennessee State. They have their new man, Randy Sanders, who's been uh, spent the last four years as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Florida State. So again, you talk about coaches moving down to move up. Seems to be uh, what happens here. Big opportunity for Randy Sanders and a pretty nice hire for East Tennessee. Yeah, you talk about a program that's fairly new. They're just like Mercer, um, and and they are going to be have uh, just like Kennesaw State. I'm sorry, and having a lot of guys on that roster that are going to be seniors, but fifth year seniors. So he's coming into a great situation. They've recruited well there. Coach Torbush did a great job building that program, getting them to where they can compete. Um, and now you bring in a coach from Florida State. Sanders, that has an offensive genius behind him, love what he runs as far as a pro-style system. You're going to see a lot of fullback, tight end type deals, play-action pass. Along with that talent that they have, I think that's a program that we can see take that that jump like we saw Kennesaw State do this year right. in, the big, in the Big South. I think they can do that uh, in the SoCon, uh, in my opinion. I, I love this hire because I love what he's going to be paired with at East Tennessee State. And, it's been, and you talked about transfers, too. See if anybody who's on the bench at Florida State. Well, I'm not getting any playing time. I like I like coach. You know, maybe I can maybe I can transfer. See what happens in the NCAA. Uh, let's move to Florida A and M. They've got their new guy Willie Simmons, the former head coach of Prairie View. Uh, obviously had some very good seasons, 21 and 11 with Prairie View A and M. Good hire for the Rattlers. Very good hire. And here's a guy that is going back home, so to speak. We've seen that with Florida State bringing Willie Taggart back to the state of Florida. Right. Willie Simmons is a Florida guy. His wife went to FAMU. It's going to be a great fit for them. I think Florida A&M is another program. Again, Coach Wood did a great job recruiting. That's a talented bunch. I was on the broadcast for them versus Morgan State. Love what they have from a talent perspective. Ryan Stanley, outstanding quarterback, so he has that to work with. And Willie Simmons got Prairie View in the mix. And Prairie View, like we said last episode, was dirt trash prior to uh, what, 2007, I believe. The Christmas gift nobody asked for. Exactly, right? <laughs> and so now you have that program that's going to be set up for success for their new head coach and Eric Dooley. I think FAMU is going to be a good program. And, and it's good when FAMU is, is going to be back on the national scene because that fan base is outstanding. You talked about Eric Dooley. Let's talk about Prairie View and a- A&M. They've got their guy, Eric Dooley, the offensive coordinator from Grambling. And we know what Grambling can do. This is a big, big hire for Prairie View A&M. This is just the momentum just keeps going up. And here's a guy that you get in, Eric Dooley, that has bought time as an offensive coordinator, as a quarterback's coach, had sustained success at Grambling, Southern, Arkansas, Pine Bluff when they were good. Right. Dooley was running the show in the offense. Prairie View now has a lot of talent thanks to Willie Simmons. New stadium, great on-campus facilities, great recruiting base. Now Grambling has some Grambling and Southern has some competition now in the SWAC West Division. That's going to be interesting. This next next couple seasons, we'll see if the uh, the protege kind of takes over uh, in that conference. Let's move back to the East Coast, though. This is a hire I really really like. Fordham's got their man Joe Conlon. The offensive coordinator from Yale, four seasons in charge of the Bulldogs offense. We know what they've been able to do over the last four years. This is a tremendous hire for Fordham. And it went under the radar. Because Completely under the radar. It was like we were talking about uh, one head coaching hire. It was something that happened that day. And then like later on that afternoon, it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, Fordham hires their new head coach uh, from Yale. And I was like, wow, that's a great hire. Yale played a lot of freshmen two years ago. Last year, uh, um, last year they played a lot of freshmen. This year we saw them put it all together and win the Ivy League. This is a great hire. And I love Yale's offense. That's what's the most important part. They're a power spread offensive attack. They can run the football. They can also throw the football vertically down the field. And that's perfect for what Fordham has already on the roster. That's a lot of talent there. They dealt with a lot of injuries this year. This is going to be a great hire and a great fit. Exactly. And we're talking about a Fordham team that we that underperformed. We thought that there was a po- good possibility of them winning the Patriot League right. this year. Just never happened. But they've got the talent there to get that kind of prediction. You get into a new set of hands, that might be all it takes. Let's, uh, let's stay on the East Coast and let's talk about an interesting hire here for Holy Cross. They've got their new guy. Bob Chesney, who is the former head coach from Assumption in Division Two out of the North NE10, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has got success. He's had a winning record his last eight years. He start. He was at Assumption. I forget where he came from before that. I, I'm not. 
can't recall that exactly, but 44 and 16 in his four years at Assumption, this is exactly the guy Holy Cross needed. Yeah, and they were good on both sides of the ball. And Very if, good on both sides. When you watch Assumption play, you saw their their passing game be successful, but I was always impressed with how well they did defensively, especially in the secondary. So it's one of those situations where um, – Let's say if you run the football, let's say if you're Alabama, right, and you run the football real well, you're known for your offensive line and backs. And the byproduct of that is being also known for your defensive line and linebackers. So you look at Assumption, known for their passing game, but also known for great secondary play. I think this is a great fit. That's a very tough Division II conference in at the uh, in the East 10 and Northeast 10. So, yes, this is a great hire for Holy Cross. That's a, that's a sleeping giant program in the Northeast. You know, this is a team that – was one of those late arrivals to the FCS playing in the FBS. You right. know, I, th- I want to say they were one of the last ones. They had a highest trophy candidate finalist in Gordy Lockbaum, uh, you know, who's a legend up there. Yeah. You know, I think it was the 1981 or 1982 uh, season. So this is a late arriving FBS or FCS program that has a lot of tradition, great fan base up there. And if he can get that thing turned around to where they are winning, you think the Patriots fans are obnoxious? Oh, don't wait till Holy me. Cross start winning, <laughs> and wait till they start challenging Boston College for that that game again. That could be another Ooh. matchup. Yeah, exactly. Because Boston College now it looks to be. I, I love what Adazio, Adazio has done too. Um, shout out to him and that, that Boston College program. If they can get that game back going when those two teams are good, yeah, it's a hell of a rival. I mean, let's put it this way: Assumption put up forty three point four points per game last year, allowed fifteen. That's a good ratio. Exactly. And by the way. Boston College Coach Stasio, I hope you have thawed out because I still haven't. I was at the pinstripe bowl. I don't know how you're still anybody is still alive after that game. <laughs> let's, I don't let's, know how they did it, man. Oh, jeez. Let's go to Mississippi Valley State. Let's talk about them uh, real quick. They have a very young coach coming in, Vincent Dancy, who was uh, their D coordinator uh, from 2015-27, kind of took, all, took uh, control of the reins at the end of the year, has had the interim tag removed. He is their guy at just 33 interesting in-house hire here or do you think this is the right move to get into a younger set of hands i think it's the right move because we see nowadays how social media impacts recruiting you know and yeah. certain teams have do a great job with their social media accounts mercer does a phenomenal job with their social media accounts and how they do their uh uniform reveal it's oh. hilarious they are great with it they they them and tulane are great with social media and that's what you have to have when you have a young a young coach um shout out to coach bobby lamb he does a great job in being in tune to what's going on uh but these younger coaches coming in they have a great handle on social media they have a great handle on recruiting um and you get to grow with the program and if it's your first opportunity it means something to you you know so he's gonna really take ownership of this program saying hey i'm a young coach i may not get another opportunity if this doesn't work out We've yeah. seen young coaches do that in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Sean McVay is a, is a great example. But you also look back at a Josh McDaniels or an Eric Mangini, young coaches that yeah. didn't have a good situation the first time out. And Eric Mangini it. got the second chance with Cleveland, but we haven't seen Josh McDaniel just yet get his opportunity again. So if you're a young coach, the program means something to you. Take full advantage. You're going to do whatever it takes to make sure this is not your last opportunity. And let's, let's, let's be – Take the end. You mentioned the NFL here. There's also a young coach that didn't get much of a shot his one time round, and that guy was Nick Saban. So right. it can turn around for you in a good way if it doesn't way. happen to work True. out. Uh, let's move to Hampton now. They got their new guy, Robert Prunty. Um, spent last year at ECU as the D coordinator and defensive line coach. Interesting hire this one, especially with Hampton starting to transition toward the Big South in a couple seasons. He was at ECU? That's what I have. East heard. Carolina? Yeah, I believe so, yes. And defensive? Defensive coordinator and D line. What was East Carolina's defense like? Mm. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm not saying that it was his fault, but I think getting a guy that can come in and help stabilizing. Uh, Coach Maynard was an offensive guy. Played right. quarterback at college level, played in the Arena League, was one of the all-time greats there. And now you bring in a guy that's a defensive guy. So I understand this move because it's a program shift. We're going to get better defensively. We're going to always – be able to get offensive talent in that area. That's a fertile recruiting ground right. for offensive skill players. Can we get this defense right? Because in the Big South, like we've seen, Monmouth, Kennesaw, uh, well, now Liberty is gone, but uh, you know you have all Campbell, these, moving, Campbell in. moving in. You have all these great defensive teams 
in there are guys that can play teams that can play defense. Hell, Presbyterian's defense gives you fits. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I understand this hire. I think he's now, again, getting the reins, becoming a head coach, imposing your or implementing your philosophy is is a good thing. So I think he's going to do a good job there, too. Let's move on to Morgan State. And we kind of talked about their situation here. Uh, Obviously, a a firing that we didn't see coming that was maybe too soon. They've brought in an interim coach who they've already told is going to be in charge for the entire year. But they're going to be constantly looking for the guy that is going to be not him. Uh, That man is Ernest Jones. Uh, He's been the defensive coordinator at Morgan State over those last two years. What can we expect with a guy who quite honestly does not have any expectations from the school like they obviously they don't have enough respect for him i don't think or the expectation to let him take over they're going to be looking for his replacement even while he's coaching yeah it's always a tough situation man because you you know should i call this should i go forward here on fourth down to make a splash to show them that hey i'm a good guy to keep long term i like this move i don't like them getting rid of coach farrier but i do like coach jones we yeah. talked about defense, right, leading into what, what team said about – other coaches said about Morgan State's defense. I think what you'll see with Morgan State this year is they're de- from a defensive mindset. Defense will still be active, aggressive, and getting after the quarterback and stopping the run. Offensively, instead of them throwing the football vertically down the field, they're going to utilize that depth and that offensive line that they call the trench mob. The trench mob. So you're okay. going to see a physical – Morgan State team, and now it's going to look similar to what you, their exp, what their their talent level says. You know, right now I think they're better on on the offensive line in the backfield more so than out at receiver. Defensively, right. they're great all over. So I think you're going to see a more run based offense, play action pass with Elijah Staley, and now you're going to see a defense be able to to really be better than what they were last year, which was good in in, in their own right. Three more coaches we want to talk about here. Let's go to uh, Robert Morris. Bernard Clark, former Orange Bowl MVP, is taking over. His last job, though, this is an interesting move, and I think it's the perfect move for Robert Morris. Clark was most recently the defensive coordinator at Albany for the last four seasons. You talk about a team in Robert Morris that was porous defensively. You got a guy who was in charge of one of the best defenses in FCS, and especially the CAA, coming in. This is a great move for Robert Morris. Great move. Love Coach Clark. Also, Robert Morris is in western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area. Mm. Recruiting is huge. I think it's easier to recruit to Robert Morris than it is to Albany. Recruiting to Albany is kind of like recruiting to Syracuse. You really have to work hard to get guys to go there. Now, they were able to do that, and Albany is a great team, especially defensively and on the offensive line with their running game. Robert Morris, I think, can be the direct beneficiary of a guy that can come in and recruit. You exactly. Know, that that Pittsburgh area, that Western Pennsylvania Western area. Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, too. That's a fertile, fertile base. Think about you. Just because you said I, I thought of something, you know. Thank you for bringing the idea up because now it makes sense. Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, right? Take a look at the Division Two programs. IUP was ranked number two in the country right um and lost in the semifinals before uh to i think to to west texas not to, uh, texas a&m commerce who went on to play in the championship game and win it and win it so iup cal pa look at the division three program washington and jefferson w- had a deep run in the division three playoffs yep. talent out in western pennsylvania is there robert morris is gonna is gonna be good slippery rock is a, another good program out toward that Western Pennsylvania area. So if you can recruit, as we've seen, Pitt all the way down to Washington and Jefferson, there's a lot of talent. And you talk about Eastern Ohio. I mean, look at Youngstown State, the Cannon area, Malone, exactly. Walsh. It's, it's huge. So there's enough talent. Uh, Mount Union. So there's enough talent to go around. If you can recruit in that corridor – you're going to be a good team. You don't even have to go anywhere else if you want to recruit there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's move on to Tennessee Tech. They have uh, one of their one of their own coming back, Dwayne Alexander. Uh, he is in as the acting head coach, uh, former offensive line coach at East Tennessee, uh, but played at Tennessee Tech from 85 to 87, going back to his alma mater. Obviously, that's a special thing. How, what can What is he going to bring to Tennessee Tech? Balance. And I think if you can be balanced in the OVC, you got, you got a chance. Jacksonville State. 
good amount of balance. And not to where their passing game is top 15, but balance to where they're efficient. And if you can bring balance there along with the ability to recruit, um, Tennessee is a tough state to recruit in. There's right. a lot of schools, a lot of Division One programs, both FBS and FCS, in that state competing for that talent. So, yes, you're going to have some challenges in recruiting, but if you could bring balance and keep the game close and efficient, we saw that work for Austin P. Right. So I think it can work here at Tennessee Tech. And one more coach we want to get into here, and that uh, just happened recently, last couple days. Uh, Incarnate Word has their man, Eric Morris. Now, he's a former coach at Texas Tech. Now, what coach would you want to have coming from Texas Tech? You don't want your D coordinator coming in. I know, I know <laughs> exactly that. Exactly right. <laughs> this guy was the former offensive coordinator of the Red Raiders. Is Incarnate Word about to go from kind of, you know, new program kind of eh to holy cow, they're putting up 60 points a game? Is that what we can expect over the next couple of years with uh, Coach Morris? They're about to be the San Antonio version of Stephen F. Austin. <laughs> all the points, all the offense. Just what we need, another offensive team in the South. That <laughs> exactly. is perfect. That's going to be perfect. perfect. So, and, and again, that now he puts he, – he's going to draw some recruiting lines because he has to compete with UT San Antonio. Right. You know, but Incarnate Word has some – they have some talent. They already got great uniforms. Yes. That's going to yes. – that's going for them already. Done. Perfect. Done. Now you had offense. Now you're going to add offense and, and a guy that – again, young guys that can take ownership of a program – Hey, this is my first job. A school is trusting me to to lead their program. All the ideas are going to be there. All of the you're gonna their playbook is going to be fun to watch. Their yeah. whole style is going to be different. It's going to inject some life into the Southland Conference. Now they don't need life injected into the Southland Conference. It's already fun, <laughs> but this is going to be good to see Incarnate Word uh, with a new young head coach. Exactly, and you're talking. And it's almost the perfect situation. You have uh, Larry Keenan, who kind of, you know who brought the program up from kind of obscurity, kind of built it as his right. own establish it it's got a good foundation it's still a young program though in one of the most fertile grounds for college football in texas so if you want the perfect situation for a young head coach who's looking to make a name for himself this might be it i don't think incarnate word is a playoff team just yet not yet give it about three seasons under this guy we'll see what happens they could be a bowl team if the fcs did some some more bowl games but ESPN. we did that last episode. It was so good that people were like, hey, man, that's a great idea. ESPN, uh, you only all you have to do is put it online. ESPN3 is. So that's all we got to do. Folks, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we will be talking about the FCS championship game, JMU versus North Dakota State. It's the rematch that we all wanted. It's the rematch that everybody was hoping we would get. It's coming. We'll be right back. We'll talk about it. We'll break it down position by position, top to bottom, when we come back. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hassig, and along with Emery Hunt. Don't forget, folks, you can listen to this podcast wherever you are. We are on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. You've got all the coverage you could ever want on footballgameplan.com slash FCS kickoff. And while you're there, check out all the other stuff. we got FBS coverage, D2, D3, NFL, Canadian, whatever you want to do. We're on YouTube.com slash footballgameplan. Emery's always got some great stuff showing up uh, with all your football game plan content. And don't forget, folks, we are on Twitter at the FCS kickoff, at FCS opening drive, and at FBallGamePlan on Twitter. 
And so, Emery, now it comes down to this. We've got one game, and as I said before the break, it's the game we all wanted to see. Everybody loves the underdog story until it gets to the title game, but we've got JMU versus North Dakota State, easily the two most dominant teams in the FCS this year, in what's going to be a tremendous revenge factor in this game. You know the Bison faithful are going to want to get some sort of retribution for losing at home last year in the semis. This is just going to be incredible, especially with what happened in the semifinals. Got to give the people what they want. Yes. And they wanted this game. This is going to be a great matchup. You, For all the reasons you outlined, and this is a strength versus strength battle on both sides of the ball. They match up well. And this is what everybody wanted to see. And I'm glad we got these two in this game. And it, again, Toyota Stadium is used to Bison face, faithful coming in. Right. They got used to what James Madison brought to the table last year. Right. I don't think there's enough seats <laughs> for this game because of the two teams. This is a, a heavy – this is Tyson Holyfield, and I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be tremendous. Let's break down how both of these teams got here to start with. Let's start with JMU. Both of these teams obviously got a bye in the first round, both part of the top eight seeds. Uh, JMU, they had a little bit more of a rocky road than North Dakota State did going through here. They won in the second round 26-7 over Stony Brook. Relatively comfortable game. Barely got through the quarterfinals, beating Weber State 31-28. They needed a miracle right at the end (laughs) of that game. And then they showed up in the semifinals 51-16 over South Dakota State. Have they addressed those issues, do you think, that they had during the Weber State game? I think they have. They came out with a clearer focus of, hey, we need to take care of business, put a team away early. Imagine, it's always fun to imagine the what-ifs. Yeah. Imagine if they lose to Weber State. Oh, Who gets to play North Dakota State? I think you're looking at Dakota Marker Final. Right. Probably. So, I mean, granted, they got it, they got it done. And they didn't sleepwalk against South Dakota State. They really put that team away early. Um, and now we have a situation where they're coming in a little bit more full strength yes. than North Dakota State is. So that adds a unique element to it as well. Actually, exactly. And Coach Houston, this is the second year. I mean, you can't ask for a better start to your career than this. I mean, national title first year, back to the national title game second year. He will never have to buy another drink. No. I mean, at JMU. He's absolutely fine. He'll be invited to the student parties if he wins this game again. <laughs> um, let's talk about North Dakota State's road. Obviously, Chris, uh, Coach Kleiman, his fourth season there, he took over a dynasty. He continued the dynasty. And then last year, what, what, what happened? <laughs> you lo- we lost in the Dome? We don't lose in the Dome to anybody. But they lost to JMU in the semifinal. They have come out with a vengeance this year in the playoffs. They took, o- took out San Diego in the second round, 38-3. to uh, they destroyed Wofford 42-10 in the quarters. <laughs> destroyed them. Yes. And then Sam Houston showed up. Oh, this is going to be a great game. No, it will not be. Nope. 55-13. They held Sam Houston to 13 <laughs> points. This is the most dominant force in college football at the moment. North Dakota State has just had – this is an easy one. But is it? Is it maybe – are they uh, taking this a little bit for granted, do you think? I don't uh, think, man, because you know why? And, and it's we have to give – a ton of credit to Coach Kleiman for what he's been able to do. Oh. It's hella tough. It's like the he's like the Jim Jimbo Fisher of the FCS. It's hard taking over for a giant. Bingo. And, and it's it, hard taking over for a giant. He took over for Bobby Bowden at a Say program no that no more exactly and, and led them to a championship on his own. Kleiman had to take over for a legend in Craig Bowl at a program that was dominant at Division Two, won championships at Division Two, yeah, and also at. Uh, the FCS level, so um, and was able to do it himself, and to keep the train rolling. He's a phenomenal coach, yes. and I think he has to start getting credit. Uh, you know, a lot of people probably were hesitant to give him credit for the first one, saying, "Okay, that's Craig Bowles team." Yeah. But you look at what Wyoming has been able to do, and now what North Dakota State has continued to do. You have to start giving credit to Climate for being an excellent coach and recruiter. And this game, I'm pretty sure he's had this one circle potentially since they lost they want jmu so the second time around it's all about adjustments and what can you do differently that worked and didn't work and they had a chance to win that game last year so we'll see what adjustments are made and that's why you love the intriguing storylines involved in this matchup and i you said certainly i think when the schedule came out and they found out what day the title game was 
versus JMU circled. Not even a second thought. We're going back, and we're getting revenge, and we'll see if JMU can hold up their end of the bargain. Let's go, though, position by position, because I, I, I was trying to break this down last night, and it's so close in every category. It's not a push. There is a slight advantage to one side or the other in every, pretty much every category across the board, but it's so even. It's so incredibly even in this game. This is, again, this, this is Goliath versus Goliath. This, this goes back to, it's, it feels like the old Michigan versus Ohio State games back exactly. in the 80s. It feels like you don't know who's going to win this game. It's going to be whoever is, be, like, whoever is the better on the day. There's no trend to it. There's nothing about it. Let's start with the quarterbacks because you're talking about two quarterbacks that are not, they're not the most prolific passers. You know, they're not going to, you know, throw all over you. But they're so composed, and they're great field generals. Brian Shore for JMU, Easton Stick for North Dakota State. It's hard to choose between these two. They're both very, very good, very yeah, composed. And I think it's a push here. I'll, okay. give, you, I'll, I'll give this a push. Okay. Um, both are great athletes as well. We have to acknowledge the fact that one has, if you want to tilt one way, Shore has championship game experience. That is true. Stick led a team to the championship game, but they went back to Carson Wentz because he was healthy with the wrist injury. That's true. So uh, Stick didn't play in the championship game. However, that doesn't mean he hasn't played in playoff games. We've seen him run the gambit uh, in playoff football. Right. He took a loss to JMU. Right. So I think if you're going to give an edge to JMU because of that, but from a talent perspective, they're the same to me. And it's all about efficiency, and both right. of these quarterbacks are hella efficient. See, I think what I think this game will mean more to Easton Stick than anybody because you right. mentioned it. He got them to the title game in 2015 and didn't get a chance to play. He finally got the team last year, and that opportunity to win a title got robbed from him. He is going to be so motivated for this game, and I, that's why I give him a little bit of an edge as well, and also because he's such a dual threat. Right. Obviously, he's a, a better runner than uh, Brian Shore is. And Shore's been a little inconsistent with his ability to keep the ball in possession. 12 interceptions this season, 26 touchdowns, whereas Easton Stick is 27-8. and eight. So not as much passing yardage, but more efficient with the football. A little bit, and again, you can, you can come up with whatever reason you want to for that. But I think Easton Stick has just a slight edge here. I'm giving North Dakota State the edge in the passing game. I'll tell you what, though, if any, either of these guys go down... I don't know what they're going to do because these guys are so critical uh, to the teams. And, of course, that's the cliche. Oh, quarterbacks are the best person on the team. In this case, it, it's a big, big part of it. So you're giving a quarterback edge to North Dakota quarterback State? Quarterback edge to North Dakota State. Slightly. I call it a push. You call it a push. Let's move on to the running back game. This is where I'm going to – this is going to be fantastic. you got two tremendous running backs uh, in this game, but you also have great secondary running backs behind right. them. I mean, you look at – at JMU, you talked about Marcus Marshall, transferred from Georgia Tech. He is, you know, he's done well all year. He lit it up in the semifinal. This kid was just all over the place. Oh, well, Marshall's run for a touchdown, and I thought I was watching a replay. <laughs> but it happened three more times. I can't, this can't be the same thing. We still have Trey Sharp behind him, uh, Taylor Woods behind him, as well as Brian Shore. On the other side, Bruce Anderson is a freak of nature. Same thing. I'm watching replays over and over again Lit up for the Sam Bison. Houston. But behind him, obviously, they are without Ty Brooks. That's a big loss. It's a big loss. That's a big loss. But then, okay, Seth Wilson, come on in. And he just runs for another 180-something, whatever he had in the semifinal. Plus Lance Dunn, who's a great guy when you get close to the goal line, and Easton Stick. Which stable of running backs do you give the edge to? It's real tough in, these, in this one. Again, another push. I think this one's a push as well. It, it's just, it's so... It's so tough to call. I think Bruce Anderson is the best overall back of the bunch um, because you knew he had power. You knew he was a powerful running back. He has some explosion up the middle. You saw that in that semifinal game against a defense that can run. Sam Houston's a very fast secondary. If they're anything, they're fast. He's just gone. He's, he's, he's Usain bolting them. He's, just, he's, <laughs> he's turning around. He's smiling for the cameras. He's got about five legs behind him. I'm good. I'm just running. Um, but Marcus Marshall, what he showed in that semifinal game against South Dakota State, nobody saw that one coming. And don't sleep on Sharp's speed. Yes. Sharp is a, a, an ex- – you talk about Anderson explosiveness. Sharp is hella explosive. Yes. So I think they both have one and the same. They both have powerful runners. Now, North Dakota State obviously has the fullback element who – 
murdered Walford by himself. Oh. <laughs> so, he is wanted in five states. Exactly. Like that fullback wheel route. I was like, is somebody going to cover the fullback? Cover the, the wheel route. <laughs> like, I know he's a fullback, but he's done it already. <laughs> so I think their backfield is, is equal. This is another push for me. And and, and it's, it's the perfect matchup of you've got one total back on each side. You've got one speed back on each side between Sharp and Wilson. And then you got two power guys. You get to the goal line, just give them the ball, and they'll eat people. And both quarterbacks and can run. And both quarterbacks can run. So this is that's completely even. Let's move to the wide receivers. Now, again, neither quarterback a prolific passer. JMU does a little bit more through the air. Uh, Terrence Alls has had a great season. Um, what's good about JMU's passing game is they distribute the ball pretty evenly in their attack. Eldridge has four t- uh, TDs. Hyman, four TDs. Clayton Cheatham has eight catches and four touchdowns this season. But I think the guy you got to look at at JMU is Riley Stapleton. He has become an absolute freak of nature in the playoffs. Came from no, he, he reminds me a lot of the kind of wide receiver the New England Patriots would take. Right. You know, he's that Amendola, Edelman, short white guy who's really fast out of the slot. Oh, by the way, he's got 13 catches for 185. He was murdering. We, he was baking <laughs> Weaver State. Complete, like, and we're just like, cover him. <laughs> They're throwing to him. Cover him. On the other side, though, you got North Dakota State, who's got some decent receivers of their own. I like Erzendowski. Yeah, just be, for the name. Just for the name alone. He's, He's been scrabble. balling. He's, He's been scrabble. there like 10 years, I believe. Like It seems like every championship game, Erzendowski has made a big play. Yes. And he's got eight touchdowns this year, which is another nice thing to add. But Darius Shepard is another guy that they go to consistently. Um, Jeff Illis, uh, or Illies, um, another great. And Connor Wentz, another Wentz. Another Wentz in North Dakota. He's Fitting. Got, he's got five TDs on 12 catches. So I give the receiving edge a little bit here, though, to JMU. Just because it's a little bit more balanced. They don't have, you know, when you looked at Sam Houston, it was the one guy you had to cover that one connection if you can do that and slow that down you're fine and you saw that with a lot of teams in the playoffs you saw south dakota state running that kind of offense you can't do that with jmu if you get, you cover one guy three others are going to beat you so yeah. I, I give jmu a slight edge here me too and i think it's due to the fact that they are a little bit more experienced in, in the passing game not saying that north dakota state is not experienced i just think that jmu passes it a little bit more than ndsu um so slight edge although the the parts that make it you may be able to give the tight end position to North Dakota State, you know, True. as opposed to the guys on the perimeter. So the entire receiving core, I think, which includes receivers and tight ends, I just think you uh, may give a slight edge to JMU. But, again, if you want to break it down from receivers to tight ends, splitting hairs. But that's why it's, it's, it's a slight edge to JMU as opposed to, hey, they have the advantage here as opposed to the Bison. Yeah. Let's move now to the O-line. Now, the O-line, I mean, you're a running back. You are you have to be very friendly with your O-line. They're absolutely. also the guys that get absolutely no respect at all. You talk about the Rodney Dangerfields of football, it's the offensive lineman. And obviously, with Springfield being an option team, they don't get nearly enough credit for the work that right. they do. This is a very interesting matchup because you have JMU, again, blue blood pro- two blue blood programs. But JMU, you know, the classic kind of style of offensive line. North Dakota State, very much a Big Ten style offensive line. They're just going to just push you over, and then they're going to push over the linebacker behind you and just keep on rolling. As my mom would say, corn-fed. Exactly. Corn-fed O-line. I, this one's very tight. I, I think North Dakota State, though, has the edge here just because they have a little bit, they have a little bit more to do uh, with a mobile quarterback, and they've been able to do it so successfully. I think they just have a slight edge in this. I say it's a push again. Really? Yeah, because here's why. From how JMU runs their offense – their offensive linemen, and to be honest, the offensive line um, in football are your most athletic guys on the field. Right. And to be that size and to be able to do the things that they have to do, uh, what is required, you have to be a tremendous athlete. Um, but I think from how JMU runs their offense, a lot of east and west, some pulls and stuff like that. Same, you know, North Dakota State does a lot of pulls and traps, but JMU just a tad bit more athletic. Now, they're not as big and, and brute up front like the bison are a uh, different style different offense right um but from an athleticism standpoint i think they can do a little bit more so which allows them to have that much success on offense i just think that uh here you know, by both offenses executing flawlessly and what they do 
I give them a push because North Dakota State does what they're supposed to do with their offensive line. They're deep as well. Right. And JMU does what they're supposed to do with their offensive line, which really helps out their offense. You know, it, it gets them out of a jam. Um, they can pass protect. They have to be able to do both because of what they see in, you know, the CAA top to bottom. Exactly, so yeah. I like their offense. I think it's a push. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. The you D- didn't pick a side. I did pick a side. I, I said it was a push. Okay. Actually, no. I gave, No. Wait. You said it was a push. I said North Dakota State. Stop okay. confusing me. I'm Let's, just saying. No, you can't get out of here without picking a side. <laughs> on everything. Everything. <laughs> All right, let's move to the defensive side of the ball now. Let's move to the D-line. This one, I think, is a li- this m- might be the only cut and dry decision here, and I'm going with JMU. Just because they can get, I think, a little bit better push outside. They got better on the edge. I mean, you got two guys, and, you know, Kyrie Hawkins is an absolute, he's a what I call a game breaker. Um, and Andrew Ankra as well, who's had a phenomenal season. Other side of the ball, you know, they've had North Dakota State's got some guys that can pull that off. Uh, Caleb Butler is certainly up there. Jabril Cox. I just think it's a little bit of an edge to JMU here on the D line. I disagree. Really? I am going. How dare you? Exactly. This is now we disagree. Okay. I think this edge goes to North Dakota State. Mm, tell me why. Because they can stop the run. Okay. They can. Also get pressure from within, maybe, and they have a great rotation. They do have a good rotation. I will keep give them in mind. They, keep in mind they lost their best defensive end in the middle part of the season, Greg Menard. True. They do have the depth. I will and give they don't them depth. miss him. Yes, that's key. If JMU lost Ankara, they would miss him. But they aren't missing Ankara. That's why I give them the edge. I, I I get it. I completely get it. But I think because of the depth and talent and the the uh, balance in which they play defense up front, just their defensive line can beat most teams' offensive lines. Right. So this is going to be a great challenge for them. I still think the Bison have the edge here. If it was a depth question, I give it to North Dakota State. But I, what I see with North Dakota State is on the defensive line, at least, this, the second level is a different question entirely. But on the defensive line, they do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're, they will hold a running back to a two-yard gain or a one-yard gain or whatever. With JMU, you get losses of yards. You get guys that get into the backfield and cause chaos on the defensive line. They don't have to rely on their linebackers to do that. That's just a bonus. That's why I give a slight edge here to JMU. Let's move to that linebacking core, by the way, and... This one is a lot tougher to call, but I've given the edge to the Bison. I've given to the edge of the Bison in the sec- in the second level, and Nick DeLuca is a huge part of that. I mean, this kid is a ball hawk. He's everywhere. I forget how many times they called his name in the playoff games, but JMU, I think, is, again, solid core. Solid core guy, but I look for that one game breaker that's going to be in there that's going to cause some havoc. DeLuca's the guy. I don't see too many of those guys in the, in the linebacking core for JMU. Yeah, and I, I could agree with you about DeLuca. I think this is a push as well. Okay. Because I see both cores being vulnerable versus the pass. You can throw the football against those backers of both teams. Now, DeLuca is the best of that bunch and does a good job on both ends. But if I'm if I'm coming in calling this game as, as an offensive coordinator – I'm trying to attack the second level in the passing game for both teams. I think that's where they're yes. most vulnerable. The tight ends, I think, are going to be critical in this game. The middle pass, the short pass, five to ten yards, will be. De- I think that the will determine the passing game. game is going to be critical. For that might determine the game exactly. That might determine the game right then and there. But I, I give it to North Dakota State. You say push. Let's move to the secondary. Now this is where we talked about. Obviously, there's been a long break. We don't know what's going to happen here. Who's available? Who isn't? There's been some injury concerns. Both teams. In the secondary, JMU looks like they've recovered from that. I don't know if North Dakota State has, and quite honestly, JMU has the best depth in the secondary by far. You've got three, three or four guys with five interceptions plus. That's impressive, especially in a conference like the CAA where you have so much talent at the quarterback position. Uh, Jordan Brown, Jimmy Moreland, Rashad Robinson have all had tremendous years, just to name three of them. Um, other side of the ball, Robbie Grinsby. Trey Dempsey, I think, is going to be critical for uh, for them. But again, what percentage are they going to be at? If they have a chance to play, they're going to play. But if they're playing at sixty percent, I yeah, don't know. It, the corners give me a calls for pause right here for JMU because of, I'm not JMU for North Dakota State because of the injuries. Right. Um, 
that's huge because that's not what you want to hear when you're facing a team that can throw the football. Um, safety play is, is equal. Trey Dempsey yes. is just as good as, as Raven Green. You know, both guys are ball hawks. Yeah. That's a wash. Um, but on the corners, health is going to be key. So I give the edge to JMU here. Yeah, I agree. I, I also give JMU uh, the advantage here. And, again, you talk about Carson Wentz. He, uh, uh, excuse me, not Carson Wentz, Easton Stick. Uh, he doesn't throw that many deep passes. So that's gonna, it's going to be interesting to see if they can check, catch the check down route every once in a while and kind of break that up. If they can get the, him out of that rhythm and force him into the middle, almost makes him one-dimensional in the passing game. Yeah, so. if, if, if they're healthy on the corners, um, JMU, you're going to see them be extra aggressive and trust their guys one-on-one against those receivers of North Dakota State. So it's going to come down to Easton Stick versus Raven Green. Keep that safety guessing. That way you can work the middle of the field and, and, and find optimal matchups. But um, I worry about the health of the corners here for North Dakota State. Yeah, exactly. Because they, they do – health – if they were 100%, it's they even, have the best secondary in the Missouri Valley Conference yes. by far across the board. Both safety spots, three deep at corner, you know, both outside corners and a nickel guy. North Dakota State has the best secondary. But right now, it, it's weird that both of those guys got hurt in the, the last playoff game. And granted, you had a lot of time. We don't know how hurt they are or exactly. if, how much they'll play or how effective they can be. So, yes, you have to give the edge to JMU. And both teams are keeping their cards pretty close to the chest on the You're supposed front. to. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see if there's anybody that comes out like three days before the game. Oh, by the way, he's playing. And that's all they say. Oh, right. he's playing. Okay. You know how coaches do. He has an arm. <laughs> yes. You I know. have two of them. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Let's move to special teams now. Now, hmm. for those that say special teams don't matter, did you watch the Rose Bowl? Oh, <laughs> special my teams matters. All it can take is one missed field goal, one block, one return. And the biggest play of the game last night or at the, in the Rose Bowl was that squib before half because oh, now shit. you have a kicker in Georgia that can hit a 55-yarder. So, yes, special teams matters. Who do you have the edge in the special teams here? Push. For what reason? Both <laughs> teams have really good kickers. And both teams are, are good at returning. They can find good returners. They got good returners. Um, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll look at the return game in this one as breaking case of emergency. If you need to, throw your talented tailback back there to return kicks. Yeah. And that's something North Dakota State has done throughout their history. Their backs, before they become starters, are all kickoff returners. Right. So they got experience. If you need to big play you know throw your back back there right and jmu has trey sharp they could throw him back there so they have guys that they that that you know i think this is a wash you know in this in this situation i, I don't give the to anyone who's i also have a push on this as well but I, I i agree with you i think if it's looking at kick returners and punt returners i give the edge to north dakota state i give a slight edge in the kicking game to jmu and the only reason i do that is because this game is going to be outside it's very easy to kick a field goal when you're in a dome. True. And there's not, it's not just North Dakota State. There are plenty of teams in the Missouri Valley that play in a dome. You only get three or four games outside in your away games if you're North Dakota State, whereas JMU, you're playing every game outside. You're playing in the conditions. You have time to practice that sort of thing. And obviously we don't know what the temperature is going to be. It's frigid up here in the Northeast. It's frigid everywhere. So Except Miami. It, <laughs> except Miami and San Diego. And San Diego. San Diego is perfect. 75 all year round. Yeah. So shout out to Terreros. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but you're looking at this. I mean, you're going to be kicking a stone. And if it's anything as cold as what it's oh been the last goodness. couple of weeks all over the country, I think it was like 80% was at freezing or lower on New Year's Eve. It's going to be a lot easier if you know what to do with that sort of thing. And I think that gives JMU just a slight advantage in the kicking game. But in the return game, I give it to North Dakota State. So this is a push. Time out. You don't think North Dakota State is practicing outside kicking in North Dakota State winter weather? I don't know. They All I know is that they play in a dome. You think North Dakota State all I know is, is that colder they play than, than in a Harrisburg, Virginia? Have you ever – here's the thing. All the pressure kicks that they've ever had at North Dakota State have been inside. You can't Good practice point. a pressure kick in the cold in practice. True. That's all I'm saying. You could also uh, – but you're right. Kicking, a, kicking that ball is going to be like kicking a, a – a desk. <laughs> Stubbing your toe in the middle exactly. of the night. Just, ah, just, <laughs> Good no. luck with that. <laughs> One last category, and this is obviously it's the chess match. Coaching. Oh, my God. 
this is a push for me. Easily. It's got to be There's pushed. no way in hell you could pick who has the better staff because both teams have been here before. Yes. And both teams have found unique ways yes. to get here. And both teams have done a great job overcoming adversity. Weber State should have beaten James Madison. Yes. Credit Mike Houston for getting his guys to galvanize and win that game. Coach Kleiman has been under scrutiny since he took over the job. And, mm-hmm. oh, my God, last year, oh, how well, we don't know if he could how, – how could people say that after coming off of a championship season just because he lost one playoff game to the eventual national champion? People were like, well, we don't know if he could – what you mean? You just won a title with him the year before, and you lost to the eventual national champion, and now you're back. On top of the fact that they haven't lost to an FBS team under him. So – Yes. Who – who has uh, there's no advantage here they're both great staffs bison fans are a lot like patriots fans they're very passionate about the teams they're very knowledgeable right but if something goes wrong the only difference between patriots fans and bison fans bison fans don't make excuses patriots fans have an excuse for everything bison fans if something goes wrong (laughs) you know both teams when they go wrong oh this is just ridiculous i I don't know this guy has to go you know know, the patriots half this team needs to be released they're not right they're not good enough it's just get out get them out of here get this rubbish you know get them off the field but the bison it's the coaching staff obviously because you can't find the players these new patriot fans conveniently forget what happened between 89 and 93 patriots were the laughing stock of the nfl yeah. They were dirt terrible. Yep. Had a 1-15 season thrown in the mix. You don't hear anything from Patriots fans, these new Patriot fans. They don't even know who Stanley Morgan is. They don't know who Irvin Fry is, John Stevens. I know more of the Patriots history than they do because they only picked up, they only started liking the Patriots in 2000. All I know is that karma's a you-know-what. It's, it's undefeated. Coming. Karma's undefeated. It's coming. As a Jets fan, as a very salty, salty Jets fan, I will remind them of that. Back to back on back topic. to the FCS. All right, so, shout out to Irvin Fry. Basically, you have a push on most of these. I give a slight edge on most. This, I mean, all right. So I had the tally. Go ahead. I'm a push on all of these except receiver and defensive back. You, on the other hand, gave North Dakota State the edge at quarterback. Yep. Uh, offensive line. Yep. Oh, I have defensive line as uh, North Dakota State. You have it as JMU. Yep. Gave North Dakota State the advantage at linebacker. Yep. And defensive back. Yep. So it sounds like from from my mathematics <laughs> that you have North Dakota State winning this game. You first. You get you always get out of predictions on this show. You know why? Because we have the video coming. And that's where I give my prediction. Tune in, this folks. This is all about you. <laughs> Tune this, in, folks. This is all about you. It is all about me. My this is all about you. Over. Where, where, where are you going in this game? I feel I, this must be what Lee Corso feels like just before he puts on the headgear. <laughs> on a personal level, my cousin went to JMU. Okay. Proud JMU alumnus. Shout out to the Dukes. My family supports JMU if whenever they can. They also support Virginia Tech. Shout out to the Hokies. Shout out to Thanksgiving. I might be disowned by my Virginia family. Oh. North Dakota State, 31-28. Oh, wow. This is going to be one of the best championship games we've seen. As you said, it's a push almost across the board. And, again, my edges are very, very slight edges. One person gets hurt, one thing goes wrong, it flips. But are your edges laid? That's a joke you don't get. Twitter get it, but you won't get it. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> I just think North Dakota State, uh, it, I, for me, it's going to be internal factors that are going to decide this game. And North Dakota State losing that semifinal last year in their dome to a team that they were predicted to beat easily. J- nobody predicted JMU was going to win that game. Nobody. 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 The revenge factor is here in this game. I think JMU has enough of the confidence to stay in this game. But at that last minute, again, this is Easton Stick's career on the line for him right now. He got them to the playoff to the championship game in 15 and was robbed of that opportunity given to Carson Wentz. He got the team total control last year. He's going to run the whole table, gets robbed of a title game last season with a loss in the semis, and this is the team that robbed him. Oh, like I said, karma. (laughs) Karma's undefeated. This is going to be a tremendous ball game, but I just think North Dakota State 
last second. Maybe they are practicing field goals in the cold. They get a late, a late one, and I think that's enough. Here's the, here's the funny part, too, a little tidbit. I was at the North Dakota State title game uh, in Frisco, Texas, when they played Illinois State. And Trey Robertson, I believe, had the greatest walk-off, the potential walk-off touchdown I've seen on a quarterback draw from the 50-yard line. It's like, wow, they really came down there and pulled off the shocker. I actually thought they were going to win that game. I predicted them to win because they had the tight end. They had the receivers. Right. Tight end now plays for Jacksonville. Running back now plays in the Canadian Football League. They had a ton of talent. Robertson plays defensive back now for the Vikings. So then North Dakota State took the field. Good kickoff return. Good you know, presence of getting to the field. Uh, Brock Jensen did a great job getting the football down to the 50-yard to the, uh, line. They threw a, a, a pass. The defensive back you saw last night against Georgia, um, Oklahoma's receiver just jumped up, and the Georgia defensive back just decided to watch the, the jersey instead of turning around and finding the football. That would have yep. hit him in the mouth. Yep. Um, and a big catch. I think it. I want to say it was Erzendowski that made that catch in that game against Illinois State that put them in yep. position to get the win, and they did it. They found a way to win. North Dakota State has experience playing these close games uh, in championship games, you know, and so this is a this is a unique game, man. This is going to be one hell of a game, and I'm glad this is the the game before the FBS championship game because well, we're going to get treated to teams that can run the football in JMU and North Dakota State, and then we're going to get Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, and I think yeah, when you look at these two teams, this is what we're getting. We're getting the FCS version of Georgia, Alabama. Yeah. Both teams are built the same way. That's why this is a classic matchup. This is going to be one of those games we're going to be talking about for a while because I think we may even get overtime in this one. That's as really? much of a prediction I'm going to give you. Overtime. Overtime. Oh my! It's almost free as good football as in Toyota Stadium. Almost as good. Almost as good as intrigue. I wonder how quickly they'll run out of alcohol in Frisco, Texas. Oh, no, no. They will never run out of alcohol in Frisco, Texas. Not in Texas. Before we sign off here, folks, I, I can't believe I missed this. I'm a, I'm a terrible, terrible alum. Uh, I got to give a shout-out. Before the D3 national title game, they had their awards ceremony. Uh, Springfield running back Jordan Wilcox, one of the four finalists for the Division Three Player of the Year, did not get the award, but tremendous – for him, obviously, from a small program like us, or an uh, option program to get a, a player in there. And 10 of his teammates drove from Massachusetts to Virginia, 10 and a half hours. His quarterback, his old lineman, plus his family. That is his family. That's the definition of brotherhood right there. And for option football, there's nothing better. So you, shout out to Jordan Wilcox. Congratulations. Uh, tremendous, tremendous season. And now he's getting some pro looks at him. I'm just saying. You went to Springfield? Yeah, you didn't. You didn't notice. I know. <laughs> you should have talked about it. But yeah, the, the Glory Trophy is the Division Three equivalent of the Heisman Trophy. Yep. Um, and for him to be down there, coming from an option offense, coming from Springfield, uh, you've been you you've been championing Springfield to get respect all season long. And you've been championing him to get into the NFL draft. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's exactly why. And I'll tell you what, I've seen some some looks now. He's getting some looks. So. Here's the thing too, and I'll be the color commentator at the. Uh, F, uh, not the Tropic Bowl, right. Tropic Bowl down in Daytona Beach, January 11th through the 14th. Oh no! Hopefully Florida. we'll see him there. Oh, dude! So this is, <laughs> and I have to let you know, this is. Uh, I will be. I leave Saturday for the AFCA convention, so I will catch hopefully the championship game while I'm in Charlotte. Hopefully it doesn't take place. When did the game kick off? I forget when it takes off. I mean, I'm. Uh, to be honest, I'm just I will be building up the whole game, but um, it's going to be in sometime in the afternoon. I so mean, let's yeah, see. look, look we, this we got up. all this technology right here. All this technology. My flight lands. I want to say at two o'clock, and I'll be in Charlotte for the coaches' convention, uh, doing some coaches coaching interviews and stuff like that, talking to guys and having all that good content. Uh, this game takes place at noon. So yes. Hopefully, my two-hour flight to Charlotte has is two hours. Is two hours <laughs> right, and also has Directv on flight. Yes, so I'll be able to watch it. But since we're in the age of technology, technology, internet access is available on planes. I'll be able to watch. Damn, I don't know if I'll be able to stream it. 
I don't think you can stream on planes yet. I'll let you know what. <laughs> You'll just go, land. I'll, I'll just like, oh, well, this is a first and two. I'll just give you play-by-play. Play. Yeah, just, I, I gotta, just text I gotta me play-by-play. Play. I got to practice that. And so. also, I'll, after the, the Tropic Bowl, I'll be driving across the state to uh, St. Pete for the East-West Shrine game, and there's a ton of – FCS players. Oh, my goodness. There's a ton of them there. Chase Edmonds from Fordham, Malik Reeves from Villanova. We're going to get all these interviews. We're going to get a lot of content for the FCS kickoff, for the FCS opening drive, and also just for our football game plan draft stuff. So, yeah, we got a lot coming up. So, of course, folks, keep an eye on that. Obviously, you'll have updates. Uh, We'll have, you know, keep an eye on the title game, of course, but you got the Shrine game. Uh, Keep an eye on footballgameplan.com slash FCS kickoff and youtube.com slash footballgameplan for all of those interviews that Emery will be doing down there. As he, you know, suffers in the Florida heat. Oh, it's yeah. going to be brutal. Just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Folks, it, it, we're in New Jersey. I, I know some of you are listening from, like, Minnesota saying, that's cold. <laughs> this is freezing. This is frigid up here. I mean, Emery just walked in with, like, six layers when he showed up this morning. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> folks, thank you for listening in. Uh, we will be back next week. Back next week to break down the title game, I believe. You gonna be back on Monday, or are you just gonna be slacking? No, I'm gonna be all the way down in uh, which we'll call it. <laughs> we'll I can do it remotely though. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll at some point we will break down the title game. It's gonna be an absolute classic. The Rose Bowl was a great setup from yesterday. So if we do it, if we do it, uh, we'll work on the schedule. But I'll I'll have all my equipment down with me because again I'm going from Charlotte to Florida to Mobile, Alabama. So I'll be going the entire month of January. It's a rough life, folks. It's a rough <laughs> life. Thank you for listening, Emery. Thank you as always. Uh, I've been David Hassagan. Enjoy your championship weekend. Enjoy the FCS title game, the FBS title game. Both are going to be absolutely tremendous. Enjoy your weekend of football. Goodbye.